You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Why I'll Never Make It, a lighthearted podcast that takes a revealing look at a career in the entertainment industry. Featuring stories and interviews with those on stage and backstage, on screen and behind the scenes. I'm Patrick Oliver Jones, and this is Why I'll Never Make It. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. And no, you're not seeing double. This is our second episode of the week. Thought I would spice things up with a second episode. And this one is going to cover actually something I've wanted to talk about for a while, and that is writing new shows. And that's also one of the reasons why I'll never make it and why I'm still here is producing new shows. Putting new work out there is always uh, a risk. It's a gamble for producers, for the creative teams, for the actors, because you never know if people are going to take to it, if they're going to like it. New shows on Broadway, like The Cher Show. But people know who Cher is. People know her music. Other shows like Head Over Heels. You may not know the title. It's actually a great show, by the way. I just saw it. You may not know the title. You may not know the storyline. But you've heard of the Go-Go's, and that's whose music is featured in it. But most new work has nothing to do with celebrities, has nothing to do with music you've heard before. It's new work from top to bottom, whether it's the, the story itself or the music that's featured in it. And that is what I wanted to talk about today, because with most new work being done, not just, not just in New York, but around the country, one such new work was featured at the Hollywood Fringe, and now those writers and that show has come here to New York. And so I sat down with both of the writers in the West Village and talked about their new show, We Did a Musical to Keep Us from Killing Each Other, The Musical. All right, well, I have with me here Glasgow Lyman and Jeff Rossick. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having Thanks us. For having us. Yeah. <laughs> now, you two have written a new musical that was featured in the Hollywood Fringe and critically acclaimed, from what I understand, because it was one of the, one of the best of the show. Is that, is that right? Is that why it came here to New York? Yeah. Hey. Oh, right. <laughs> <clears throat> well, yeah, we, uh, we wrote this musical, and uh, we need this musical to stop us from killing ourselves. The musical. It's a long name. People talk about marketing musicals. The last thing, they say like very expressly, like, do not have a long name. It should be right. very, very short, very to the point. Exactly. Um, but 
the the short version of the story in terms of how the name came about is that we did a read through of a version of the show that we had written now it was six or eight months ago or 10 months ago yeah we did a read through with some friends of ours that are a lot of them writers and stuff and uh we didn't have that title and we didn't even have the song that is that that the title comes from but we um we had a friend of ours who we respect her writing quite a bit she was like what are the stakes of the show and we were like, well, I guess we didn't really explicitly say that. And we need to like say more clearly what the stakes of the show are. Because what and was so, the original title that you had? Did we have a title? I don't think we did. I don't think it we was had a always title. a working title and, and, yeah. and just this just abstract script that was yeah, being pieced together over multiple weekly meetings of yeah. what do we write about? <laughs> yeah, we don't actually know what we're doing. We're, yeah, we're, yeah, we've, yeah. we've never written a musical before. We've never we written don't know together before. Here. So this is all brand new for us. So the title, we're like, oh, we'll just figure that out later. Right. And then but, it stuck. And then it stuck because people tended to, they, it kind of sells our show very specifically. Like if you like dark humor and you like comedies, then you kind of understand from the show like what you're getting into, which has benefited us because it is a dark show. We like deal a lot with heavy subjects in a very funny way. Mm. Um, and we don't want people that would be super super easily offended coming to see the show just because right it's kind of a book of mormony and that you know if you go into that that are easily offended you're going to walk out i remember when the first time i saw that the couple next to me walked out during intermission because they were so offended so we thought this title sells it exactly as it is you know what you're getting into (laughs) we wanted there to be no question as far as what the show is about no question yeah exactly so So. yeah and and one thing that based upon the title itself you do you are treating a heavy subject in a very light light light-hearted kind of way and yeah. so getting back to uh, that person who asked, well, what are, what are the stakes? What's your show about? How did you come upon this, this story, this particular uh, subject matter? We started out with really heavily focusing on plot. Again, we hadn't really written anything before. This is the first project we've ever done ever together. Done. So. Yeah, amazing. And so we, we wrote this script that was, I don't know, 45, 50-ish pages long or something like that. Yeah. And uh, it was very, very plot-driven. And our, our screenwriter friend, she said, you need to figure out who your characters are and what the stakes are for them personally. Specifically. Specifically. Which Make is probably so like specific. basic writing for most yeah, people. Yeah, for us, you know, when we you're in the like, thick of it, oh, we're just yeah, like... that makes so much sense. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay. It's like, yeah, welcome to the, you know, the club. Um, but once we did that, it was deciding, well, what's so important to these characters? Even though it's an over-the-top musical, uh, there are some really dark, heavy issues that drive really all of us, but... Uh, what is so important to these characters and what are the stakes that are so so high and uh and so that's where the uh what's the highest stake yeah well, taking death life. Yeah. <laughs> suicide. Yeah. suicide is like the highest stake and we're like well yeah. that's a great place to begin with right. because then i think everyone can you know if you even if you've never felt like you were going to take your life everyone can relate to feeling like really low and really down like there's no right. way of getting out of that so i think and so what is the storyline or plot point that you revolved this issue of suicide around so i'll talk about how this started because i think jeff and i had been like talking about working on a project or some kind together like we both do music stuff on the side he's actually the talented one i just kind of like goof around (laughs) but it was like always like let's do something um and so i think like two years ago now or almost two years ago i was like i have this idea for a story and it was kind of just based on our lives (laughs) it really was yeah yeah. i mean the whole process in in a way for me at least i don't want to speak for glasgow but like it was very cathartic in a way. Um, and in these, these characters are trying to accomplish certain goals and then the end they realize, well, what's really important in life, that kind of a thing. Um, but for us writing it, it, we were just kind (laughs) of, so Glasgow is a, is a therapist. Yeah. And so 
and and I really genuinely enjoy like I guess self-development and and reflection and just ways you can be a better thinker and and whatnot and so I mean what a great person to hang out with right (laughs) right Um, and just pick his brain Yeah. yeah exactly and so I think it just sort of naturally started getting into this realm of um being able to a like how do we show people you can face your monsters and when you do b you get the gold so yeah that kind of it and so the story just so people don't know is about a therapist and an actor and jeff is an actor amongst many other things and then a singer we have a third character as well so it's about these three people that all in some way are feeling kind of lost and the idea of this musical kind of pulls them together um we won't give away the ending but uh, right. they find hope in the idea of a producing a musical of writing a musical it's a little title of showy but but with a strong like psychological therapy bent <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense yeah, yeah. and definitely darker so yeah yeah and so in writing this musical did you have a, a theme or message in mind or did you just kind of start with some characters yourselves basically and go from there more of the latter we yeah. when we when we so when we wrote our first draft uh we came out of it with again like that 45 page thing and and we felt all right cool you and can then, hardly call it a musical at this point right <laughs> it was all in our head. we had was, any any musical ideas we had chicken scratch you know just midi notes and tones yeah. on a computer and and us like just because are like, either of you actual composers or music writers? okay yeah so, I'm, so I'm jeff composer, jeff yeah. you're an actual writer I, yes. I am yeah yes and but just to get the idea across like oh this will be the melody yeah. yeah we would just like sing each other sing back and forth to each other like this maybe this melody and right. Like trying stuff out, yeah, and and then we uh, we got together a group of our friends and and who are all in the industry, writers and producers and yeah. and, and whatnot, and uh, got them in a room and had them workshop it with us. And we said, "Here's the red pen, go for it." And they really went for it. Yeah, which is good. That's what we. It needed. was very very good. But and that's that's where out of which we we got the the biggest note that we really latched onto was. Who are the characters and what are their stakes? Yeah. It was a great learning process for us. It was also a dark moment in our creative process so far. I'm sure it won't be the only one. But we both afterwards were like, oh, God, we got a lot of work to do. Yeah, (laughs) it was was tough. It was really tough. I mean, it was great information. And I was so grateful for all those people that gave us their their feedback. But it was, we both were like, the, the, the Fringe show was in, the Fringe started in late May. And this was in, I believe, early March or late February that we had this this, uh, roundtable where we read it for everybody. I mean, the fringe is like if you've got a show, you're accepted. It's not like okay, yeah. it's a, that's like the bare minimum. So it wasn't difficult to get in at that point. But um, yeah, but we just we definitely had a moment of being like, are we still going to do this? Because we have so much more we need to do. So, but nothing like giving yourself a deadline and then yeah, you and then we're like done. We paid some money, so <laughs> we're going right, to do right, it. Right, right, right. right. Where the other, it's going yeah. to happen. Yeah, because exactly. like most like the shows that I mentioned and certainly Broadway off-Broadway shows they take years in development and they'll go through yeah. readings and oh. workshops and developments and and draft after draft and so for you guys it sounds like this was like less than a year from start to finish from the fish from when we started to the fringe it was a little over a year it was, yeah yeah really was uh, Glasgow approached me and said I've always wanted to write a musical. Do you want to? And I said, yeah, I've always secretly wanted to as well. Let's, <laughs> okay, great. What do we write about? And it was like crickets just sitting yeah. in the living room. Okay. And yeah. then we just made a point to like keep meeting every week. And yeah. some, some uh, days we would have make progress. Other days we just hang out. Some days we'd lay on the carpet and stare at the ceiling and talk about the meaning of life. <laughs> right. Literally. So yeah, yeah. It was an existential Literally. experience. Right. And, and so it was, it started abstract 
then once we got just something going and I mean, that's a something going. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we brought it to our friends and, uh, and then from there we had some more concrete, uh, right. Because it's once it actually like has voices to it, once you actually yeah. get it off the page into yeah. people's voices and characters, then it starts to, you, you see what you have yeah. at mm-hmm. that point. Totally. And so how, so you say that was around March. Then May yes. is the actual fringe. Yeah. So how was the, those three or three months? We were to... like, oh shit, we've got to actually, if we want to perform this in people and not be embarrassed, we have to do some We have to work. really, really do yeah. this. How do we do this? So we just changed a whole lot. We kept writing and then we thought, well, if it sucks, it sucks. Who cares? This is, you know, our goal was to have, our goal the whole time has been to just have fun. Like if yeah. we're not, I mean, the product, we are product oriented that we want to create something, but it's really about having fun. If yeah. we're not having fun, neither of us really want to do this, right. of course. Um, but so then those three months we just were like, all right, let's just keep having fun and keep mm-hmm. writing more stuff. So we wrote, I think we wrote, we, we scrapped half of the songs that we did. So much of it. Yeah. Scrapped so much We of scrapped it. probably like 60% of the show, rewrote a whole bunch more and we're like, well, this may suck too, but right. we got to try it. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. And some of it we've changed since the fringe, of course, too. So like some of that we've been like, we got to change those little bits and this part that doesn't make sense. So as you said, musicals take years yeah. to figure right. out. So we're kind of in the thick of like, understanding what works what doesn't work yeah you know so it's it was a little bit blind leading the blind kind oh, of getting to the fringe it, a and, lot and, and of it <laughs> oh, yeah. right right oh, yeah. i mean because producing a show is much more than just writing it and yeah. getting actors so yeah. how was that process of actually mounting the production once the fringe came along well so fortunately we both have a theater background i mean we we met doing theater so this isn't too too out of our wheelhouse to yeah. to like put on a show you know that's not totally foreign to us the writing has been blind leading the blind but as far as like okay putting on a show that we're we're both pretty familiar with that we both have degrees in theater mm-hmm. so um though i haven't used mine in literally over 10 years um, but still we, we've got this <laughs> the common vernacular to be able to just finish each other's sentences on yeah. as far as like blocking and then administrative stuff and yeah. scheduling and all that and yeah it makes it yeah you're a wonderful creative partner the feeling is mutual. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the but, love fest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but but no, I mean that's that's integral to uh, a writing partnership Absolutely. is to totally. like each other, to enjoy the process, yeah. and to still still like each other when totally. it's all said and done. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. And I guess to, to answer your question more specifically, that we uh, we wrote a show with only three characters on purpose because we know how much more com- or three actors, I should say. There are lots of characters, right. but three actors because we know how complicated it is to put something on with. A lot of people that's a lot of money it's a lot of time it's just wrangling actors for rehearsal gets complicated so it's just three actors and two of them are us so it's easier to right to like, how how can what things. is how can this become real as quickly and effectively as possible exactly from, from the beginning we'll just do it from yeah, the, from right the beginning, beginning. Yeah, yeah and from the beginning you knew that you the two of you were going to be in it I, maybe I think we like talked about that but I don't think that was ever a prerequisite for the show yeah. it was never like oh we have to be in it it was like well it's probably going to happen that way because that's the easiest way to do it. Just because, yeah. again, like we don't have a lot of money. So like paying people for a show and those kinds of things. I hate to make people work for free, though. Aiden, thank you. You've done a lot for free. Yes, thank you, Aiden. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's the other actress. She's oh. the other actor in the show. Um, uh, so I think it wasn't ever a prerequisite that we'd be in the show, but we were like, well, it's easy enough. And right. neither of us are like Broadway-level singers. But we can carry a tune and we can sing our show. So, you know. And we we can have fun. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so in in bringing fun to to such heavy topics, um, was there ever... Was there ever a thought that maybe we've crossed the line? Maybe we've gone too far? Oh, kind of oh, like yeah. what you were talking about before. I think that that thought comes to my head at, like almost every day, especially as my like my professional life. 
Um, because you are a licensed therapist. I am a licensed therapist in the state of California. Yes, and I'm right. a practicing therapist. The last thing we want to do is ever make fun of anybody. Right, like right. that's not what we're here to do. Like I mean, yeah, we like poke lightly at things, but we want to make people laugh about heavy subjects. And I mean, we push it to the extreme. Like we yeah. push this. I won't. I don't want to give too much weight, but there's a song called "Suicide for Two. Like it's we, and it's a big showy dance number. Like we push the the jokes pretty dark. Mm. Um, but we're never trying to, right. know, never wanted to make fun of anyone. The, the ultimate intent, as we developed it, I mean, because again, again, to echo Glasgow, we never had the intent to make fun of it. If anything, we finally put it into words was we want to make it more palatable and yes. less taboo to talk about. Yes. So we want to make it easier. Like if you're having a hard time with whatever it is in life, reach out to somebody, that kind of thing. So I think the, the coolest thing in the world, and this may sound very dark, but I think the coolest thing in the world would be for someone who is maybe feeling suicidal or feeling really depressed to like stumble into this kind of a show or our show and then laugh for an hour and a half. Right. Like that to me would be the coolest thing in the world. So, because I, I don't know, I'll, I'll speak for myself, but I've never been suicidal to the point of, of acting on it, but I've been very close to thinking about those kinds of things and considering those. So mm -hmm. I think it's something we can all relate to. to yeah, a certain everyone's degree, so. felt like just shit yeah and, and, yeah and so isn't it great that i mean why do we watch stories it's like when you see something like oh my gosh i so empathize with that or yeah. i so associate myself with that yeah i mean because coming from a writing standpoint you want to write about relatable characters yeah. you want to have a voice that the audience can can not only relate to but see a part of themselves in exactly mm -hmm. exactly like yeah. i think that's those are the best shows or ones where you're like yes that i relate 100 percent to that and i'm so glad that this person's able to like have fun in that situation, yeah. right? So, and and oof. an interesting, and unfortunate uh, turn of events happened when oof, we oh had yeah. one show under a belt and we had two left to go, and in between three left to go, yeah, three left to go, yeah. And in between the first and the second, um, uh, Anthony Bourdain took his life, as did Kate Spade, and they thought, oh man, should we even do the show? Like we don't, we really don't want to offend people. That's not our mission, right? And uh, and then we thought, well, wait a minute, why don't we say something before the show? And so, Glasgow has this great message before that really just says, you you guys have permission to laugh because we're celebrating each other and and needing each other and being there for each other. That's the ultimate message in the show, and we noticed an immediate like it's just you could feel the the audience just soften <laughs> like, oh okay okay. Good. Right, right. You, yeah. you need to give the audience permission yeah. to laugh about certain Stuff taboo very subjects. Heavy. Yeah, yeah, it's a heavy thing. So. And I will say I have a lot of therapist friends, of course, and in the therapy world, you spend a lot of time in that heaviness. You do. Like, you spend most of your day with right. people's heaviness, and it is it is very intense. And I've had a lot of therapists come to the show, and I've heard them laughing almost harder than everyone else, <laughs> just because everyone needs a release. Like, you need yeah. to find humor in everything at some point. So I think for a lot of therapists, it ends up being like... Oh, thank God there's a way to like laugh about this stuff and spend, you know, this stuff that's been sitting with me for, I mean, I've had clients that have been exactly where our characters are many, many, many times. So it's nice to be able to say like, this isn't all just heaviness. We can find ways to to find the lightness in it and not laugh at the situation, but laugh with the situation. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, it is tough though. I get very, def I get defensive isn't the right word, but I get very like insecure. That's the word about the idea of the show offending people because I am such a sensitive person. The last thing I want to do is offend somebody. <laughs> But I also love dark humor, so I've got this like weird, I don't know, weird part of me that is trying to fight but itself. You kind of <laughs> want to push some buttons, right. but just oh, not too much. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and I think good art does push some buttons. I, yeah. I firmly believe that. That's how we grow as people emotionally and everything is is pushing, but not to the point where people are like 
Leave it in intermission. Leaving it in intermission. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I mean, because there are artists like, like a Mel Brooks. He, yeah. he based his whole career on poking fun at very heavy or taboo subjects. Yes. Yeah. And uh, the producers was a, the, the musical, not the movie, well, also the movie, but the musical was a big influence for me, for sure. Because I love, I mean, I have, I, the first time I saw that show, I was a teenager and I had not laughed so hard watching the giant dancing swastika in a long time. I was right. like, this it's is so, so irreverent. Yeah, it's yes. so irreverent, exactly. But I had not laughed that hard in so long. I remember leaving that show and hurting because I was laughing mm-hmm. so hard. I was like, that, what a gift to give people <laughs> to be able to like yeah. make them laugh so, so hard. And actually a friend of mine came and saw the show opening night actually. And she, I didn't get to talk to her afterwards. And she told me a week or so later, she was like, the group of us that went, we were all so goofy and silly afterwards. We just kept making jokes and having a good time. And I was like, I'm so glad that our that's, show put you in awesome. that mood. Like, that's exactly yeah. what I want. Like, you just feel like happy and like slap happy. <laughs> so once the show ended at the Hollywood Fringe, did you think that was it? Was it done? Or what were your thoughts beyond that? We'd had we'd had the, the idea to make to extend it just on our own to keep creating it and uh and just expand it on our own and then we were basically tapped on the shoulder by we've had a very we've had a very wonderful mentor thank you matt quinn who runs the hollywood fringe festival and he um has kind of ushered us through this process he took a liking to us early on because you know a lot of people that do the fringe do it regularly we were the new guys. No one, yeah. no one knows who the heck we are. So, uh, but he saw our show and took a liking to it, and took a liking to us, and he kind of helped us through. Um, and at one point, the guy who runs the Fringe Festival here in New York at the Soho Playhouse, he had come to the Hollywood Fringe Festival, I believe, a couple times before, and had taken one or two shows from each year. What he does is he goes to Fringe Festivals around the world, picks his favorite shows, and then brings them to New York. So he picked sixteen shows this year from seven different Fringe Festivals. Um, and so anyway, he wanted to come and see our shows, but the Fringe Festival was over. He wanted to come in September and the Hollywood Fringe Festival ends in like July. So Matt Quinn, the guy from, uh, the guy who runs Hollywood Fringe, he, or one of the guys who runs it, he tapped us on the shoulder and was like, hey, I'm bringing 11 of my favorite shows uh, from the festival to perform again, specifically for this guy, Darren Lincoln. Thank you, Darren. Uh, I'm going to bring, you, I'm going to have you guys perform the show for him. And so... We're using this opportunity to expand yeah. it. We've added 20 minutes to the show. And so we have new material that no one has ever seen that we're going to perform on Tuesday night, which yeah. we're both... Was, was that specifically because you knew you were you had a chance to revisit it and you could do it again yeah. in a different yeah. venue? Gave us a deadline. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> again, Honestly, yes. it just this is how you two work. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. It was like, oh, shit, we got to perform the show again. So let's. we might as well just... I mean, two days stuff. ago, I was writing a cue I hadn't written yet. So. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that was just yesterday, too. Yeah. It was yesterday. Yeah. 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 So with this, this is part of the uh, so the Soho Playhouse or uh, so, talk about this festival. So it's called, I believe, the Fringe Encore series. And it's been going for, I'm going to get these numbers wrong, but 15 or 16 years. And it's Darren Lee Cole, who's the executive producer of the Soho Playhouse, has started this thing, you know, 15, 16 years ago, where he goes to different Fringe festivals around the world and picks his favorite. Oh, wow. Um, so he sees a bunch of shows and then he sees which, which ones he likes the most. And then he asks them if they want to come here and perform. Um, and so... He saw he saw eleven shows from the Hollywood Fringe Festival, and he took I think four of us, which is actually the most for many of the Fringe Festivals. Which I'm proud of Hollywood for that because people don't think yeah. of LA for theater, so I'm yeah, proud right, of that. Right. Uh, so yeah, he took four of us, and so he you know reached out to us and said, "Will you perform as part of this?" So as I said, it's a or it, there are sixteen shows, and it runs for 
uh, six to eight weeks, and it's all over the map as far as stuff. We are like the most like of our, our show is the most like classic theater show. You'll see a lot of them are like avant garde, weird stuff because it's fringe stuff. So a lot of them are they're like there was like a puppet show. There was a children's play with music where they had a bunch of kids. There was a black black light show. There was um, all kinds of all kinds of different stuff. Right, so, that, that's what the fringe is all exactly. about. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. we're kind of oddly and there's like, always men dressed as women. That, that tends to always happen in every. We have that in our show, right? So, right. so see, yeah. there we go. So, see? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But we are by far the most like standard musical. We're kind of like a classic show. We're yeah. not, even though our subject matter is very up or dark and kind of to the fringe. Our show is very like standard. Like feels like a musical. Well, so. yeah, and and let people know where they can see the show. Yes, so we're at the Soho Playhouse. We have Friday night at 8.30, Saturday we're at 6 p.m., and Sunday we're at 4 p.m. So a little bit weird times, but because it's part of a festival, they kind of, you know, fit you in wherever you can. So uh, tickets are on Gold Star. They're on the Soho Playhouse website. They're all over the place. Um, Just in case the name of the show is We Need This Musical to Stop Us from Killing Ourselves, The Musical. musical. (laughs) It's a very long title. Mm Mm-hmm. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So now let's talk about the two of you. We'll start with you, Glasgow. As far as because you come from a very different background. Yes, you studied theater or were in part of theater. Yeah. Right, right. In, in high school, probably college as yeah. well. But yet you went into a different path of licensed therapist. So how did you get into therapy from your theater background? After I graduated college, I was working... Um, I did a variety of different things. I was working... Uh, what did I do after college? I worked for a, a talent manager. Um, oh, that reminds me. I was listening to your... Uh, the previous episode about and you were talking about placebo effect and how like standing in front of a you're like when you're auditioning for something it's like you think that was the reason when right. it's like I, I worked at a uh, casting office for two years in undergrad and I was like yes that is exactly what it is like actors walk away being like this is the thing I did right that's why I got it and like 90% of the time it's like nope no, it's, it's like yeah. Yeah. yeah so it just made me laugh because I was like oh, auditions are basically a pill that we take that do nothing most of the time so, but then every now and then it actually works exactly yeah. and it yeah. usually works not because of anything you did. <laughs> Just so because much. of circumstantial stuff. Or... Exactly. So much of auditioning is, yes, I mean, obviously you want someone who, is, who has talent, talent and, and has something interesting. But it's like, is he or she tall enough? What's their skin color? What's their hair color? What, do, do they match? Will they with... fit this costume? Right. Will they fit a costume? <laughs> no, no, that, as sadly enough, that happens sometimes. It's oh. like, we need someone who's only 6'1". I'm yeah. sorry, you're 6'2". You can't make it. It's yeah. It comes down to... Crazy stuff like that. But so, and I just mentioned that because I worked at a I worked at a casting office and 
for commercials in Boston for a couple of years. Um, and then I moved to LA and I worked as a, I interned at HBO for a little while. And then I inter, or then I worked as a talent manager's assistant and I was kind of all over the place. I did that for six months and then I was like, screw it. I'm moving to Italy. So then I moved to Italy and I worked on a farm for what a while. What led you to Italy after all that? Uh, boredom. <laughs> you know. I went and worked on a farm where I was a shepherd for six months or so. So I just wanted to do something different. You were a shepherd. So, <laughs> yeah. So I did that. Uh, and then I came back to LA and I was like, who am I? What am I doing? And then I got... So being a shepherd didn't help you figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I grew my hair long and I walked with the staff and I led sheep around. So everyone thought I was trying to be like Jesus. Right, but right. <laughs> The gay Jesus. Um, uh, no, being a shepherd did not... Claire, I mean, it helped me in a lot of ways, but it didn't. Because I assume you had a lot of alone time for with your thoughts to yeah. think about things, which I love. I'm yeah. kind of a loner at heart, so I love that, and I love being with the animals and just being outside. That was perfect for me. Um, but no, I kind of came back to LA, and I actually I thought I was going to move to Australia. I was like, okay, I'll go back to LA for a little bit, and then I'll move to Australia and just figure out what I want to do there. But mm -hmm. then I didn't, and I kind of I got a job working for this guy who as uh, a production designer who was the lead production designer for Playboy. So then I kind of like climbed a ladder a little bit there. So I worked for Playboy for a couple of years as their set decorator and their set coordinator. And actually Jeff, I had yeah. Jeff once or twice for the, to work with. So us. essentially you did porn as well. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, However, all right, fine. Playboy is classy porn, I, I guess, but it's still, but well, to I make it people call it classy, but it's not pornographic in that there's no sex involved. Right. There's right. never any sex involved. It's just nudity. It's just a lot of nudity. It's a lot of nudity. Yeah. Yes. So, so what does a set designer for Playboy do? I mean, this is interesting. A lot of sheets and pillows and candles. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of candles. Oh, lots of candles. Um, yes. Yeah. It was, you know, just, yeah, just various bedroom sets, and it was a that lot of stuff. had to be a job that you had no idea you were ever going to be doing. No, I never did. I this was, and I took it the first time, being like, "Well, I need money, so I'm not going to say no at this point." Like, I'm a job is a job. Piss poor. Yeah, exactly. And I was like 23 or something, so I had no money. Um, so yeah, I took it, and I did end up doing that for like three years. It was a weird. It was a very weird thing. Mm -hmm. And actually, <laughs> every once in a while, I'll go back and look at the scripts. Because uh, I was shooting what they called personality. I don't think they do them anymore. Personality profiles, which is a joke. But uh, they were like 15-minute videos that they'd put on Playboy TV and they would include as a DVD in the magazine. Where, where they and just talk to the different the models. Playmate. And, yeah, okay. they'll do the Playmate of the Month. And it would just be like her walking around naked or laying in bed naked or... Just dollying back and forth. Yeah, exactly. Where they just dolly back and forth while she's like, ooh, ooh. Or like Does walking she in a door frame. talk about herself? <laughs> and then they'll do an interview where okay. it's like... That's kind of the joke of the personality profile is it's like they'll interview her, but they'll like cut in maybe 20 seconds of interview with this footage of her just like walking around naked. Much like the magazine. So, it's yeah. like, like nudity, nudity. Oh yeah, let's talk about this important political subject and now get back to the and nudity. Back to the nudity. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I was feeling pretty lost. I wrote for a website for a little while, which I don't even think it's around anymore. But I wrote for a website for a bit and was kind of just like confused about the world and didn't know what I wanted to do. But I was volunteering at the Gay and Lesbian Center in Hollywood a fair amount. And I was really enjoying that. And I thought, well, why don't I do this that I actually enjoy? Like Playboy was fun, but I never really like felt satisfied from it. It was it was a job, you know, it was money. And I was in my early 20s. So well, was, especially being gay, so. that's not really going to give you much satisfaction. <laughs> I have seen more vaginas than any gay man I know. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, that so should be your byline. Whenever yeah. <laughs> So then I just was like, you know what, I want to go back to grad school and I want to, I always kind of had in the back of my head a master's in social work. Um, and so I went back to grad school and I did a double master's and then I was, I got lucky and I was, 
offered a job with the with a professor of mine that I kind of took a liking to and he took a liking to me and he was like hey let's open a clinic together and then so right after grad school I started working literally like the day after I graduated and I've just been my I've been very lucky and my practice has kind of expanded since then and and so, did yeah. this clinic also focus on gay and lesbian community? No, oddly enough, this clinic had nothing to do with that. Okay. Uh, that was kind of what I had, my intention going into grad school. I thought, well, I like this community. I'm a part of this community and I like helping this community. But then, and I still do some stuff, but I'm not working full time with that community. Um, this clinic is specifically focused on working with people in chronic pain. Hmm. And I won't get too detailed into that because theater listeners may not be interested, but uh, it's... Well, anyone who dances, anyone who moves yes. in theater knows and, about pain. And I work a lot with yeah, with performers. I, I, I would imagine. I do. So, um, but yeah, so we, we have a modality that we've developed and we work with a lot of hospitals around the, around the country and around the world, actually, uh, helping people learn to kind of d- disseminate the cause of a lot of this, of this chronic pain and finding ways to manage and to heal it, actually. So there's a lot of research that demonstrates that chronic pain, not, not acute pain, chronic pain meaning pain that persists over three months, right. um, is actually has a lot to do with your psychology. Absolutely. So anyway, I won't go too deep into that, but, uh, <laughs> so yeah, and I've been doing that now for, I don't know, eight years, a while. So after all this kind of bouncing around searching for your life purpose, you, you, you feel like you've kind of honed in on it at this point. I guess, though, to be honest, I'm the kind of person that I think my life purpose will change every four or five years. Like I love being a therapist and I can, what I like about being a therapist is that I, I'm my own boss and I can decide when I want to start working, when I want to stop working. You can write a show if you want. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So I um, actually, one of my best friends, Matt, before I went to grad school, he was like, it sounds like you want to go to school for either two things, one being social work or the other being music. And I was like, yeah, those are the two things. And he was like, those are very different fields. So I chose to go to school for, you know, to get my degree to become a therapist, but it's fun to do writing stuff on the side. Jeff, yeah. so talk about your background and all the sheep that you've been herding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, in the beginning, <laughs> I was the one kid in, in grade school that was taking piano lessons. And I like did the whole like state run um, like competition, that kind of a thing. And the first time I ever subscribed to Elder Advice was when uh, one of my mom's friends said, and at, at a time I was thinking about quitting because I was just kind of over it. And uh, he said, like, I wish I didn't quit when I was your age. And I didn't. And I'm glad I'd finished this, that whole program out. And so I carried with me into college uh, my, my formal piano training. And then one day, oh, first I went to, I started going, going to college uh, uh, as an accounting major. And then I had a really awesome freshman year teacher. Major? I was an accounting major. Yeah. At Loyola? At Loyola Chicago, yeah. I didn't know that. I had an amazing freshman year teacher who made it fun, oddly enough. Uh, and then I transferred to Gonzaga <laughs> University and my first cl- class uh, of accounting 201, whatever it was. You were an accounting major? I was an accounting major. I was blown away. <laughs> yeah. um, See, I love podcasts. You, you find out new things <laughs> yeah, about people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time with this guy, but I didn't realize that. And Well, I was getting it because it was like, my, my mom was just like, get something safe. <laughs> and so that's Classic what I was story. doing. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of like the story of our show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. yeah and, and I, I, uh, I kind of like, yeah, I lied to myself a good amount that I was enjoying it. Um, but anyway, so I got to the, the the first class of my sophomore year, and within ten minutes, I was like, I don't know what this man is saying up at the front of the room, and I immediately decided, all right, I'm gonna go as soon as this class is done changed my major so i did that i went straight to the admin building and changed it to theater told my mom I was just like i gotta do this for me i'm sorry and she said well okay but i'm proud of you so 
that worked out. I had her support, which is really, really, I'm very, very grateful for that. So thanks, mom. Um, <laughs> I, right out of college, I got a job at a music, music licensing and, and custom music composition house, uh, oddly enough, in Spokane, Washington. I went to Gonzaga University. And um, there I met uh, just the small team of three guys, and they brought me into their world of, of creating music for uh, broadcast TV promo, for commercials, like jingles, that kind of a thing. And I got my first uh, opportunity to, I wrote a, a little, scored a commercial for the Boeing, or the, the Beijing Olympics. And I was like, whoa, that's a Jeff is a brilliant composer. <laughs> he will undersell himself, but he's brilliant. <laughs> and I just, I, I was like, oh my gosh, this exists. I love this. I can, you can do this for a living. This is amazing. And at the same time too, I was, uh, I was acting. Um, I'd put together my first show with two other actors after graduating and one of our professors who he brought to Gonzaga, which is a liberal arts school, and it's not really known for its theater uh, program yet. Uh, they just <laughs> You're going to put it on the books. <laughs> <laughs> well, they just got a brand new theater. It's like, ah, oh, you know, how many years too late? But yeah. um, because there wasn't a huge program back then when I was there, this one professor came in and he brought with him this conservatory mindset that I just, I was like a moth to flame. Like, Oh man, just give it like, it was like whiplash. Basically he was, he was the, uh, uh, JK Simmons. And I was just like, throw the symbol <laughs> at my head, man. Just, just do it. I want to, I want to be better. So, um, so I got a lot of one-on-one intention for, uh, with him and, and then, uh, two of my other classmates we put on a show. And, and so I was getting all this, this real world experience with it. And then at this music licensing company, uh, the, the, the vice president, the, the place has since shut down. But the, the vice president, he, he and I got along really, really well. And I come, came to learn that uh, he'd spent years down in L.A. from he was at one point Clint Eastwood's manager's assistant. Um, <laughs> he worked at HBO. He worked, I think, at Sony. I mean, all over the place. And so over the next nine months, since Sean West, and he's actually now my agent, my theatrical agent, um, he, uh, he just gave me, handed me these pearls of wisdom, like, you know, the sort of broad stroke of like walk down this street in LA, not that street, kind of those kind of uh, kinds of pieces of wisdom. Well, yeah, because that's something I've talked about uh, with other people that it's not just the performing itself and the world of acting and performing mm-hmm. and writing and, in your case, but also like, what about the city you're in and, right. and the different ways that the city can help and also totally. be, be an impediment to yeah. your career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. LA is a tricky city. It, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, because it's like 17 cities in one. It's, because there's so many different parts of it and it's so spread out. It's so mm-hmm. big. Yeah. Right. It's a mega city. I think I, I live the closest to a beach ever and I never went because it's too far. It's too far. Yeah. Yeah. No, 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 no. It's the same here. I mean, we don't have beaches, but we do have Coney Island. I've lived here 10 years, never even set foot on Coney Island. Really? That's funny. So, I mean, yeah. There you go. Well, that train ride is very long. I've done it. (laughs) So, So, anyway, I uh, uh, got along great. And then, uh, with, with this, uh, he became a mentor of mine, and then a film came to town, and I was luckily uh, Taft Hartley out of that. And at the time, I mean, I at the time I did not know what I was getting. I I was didn't know what was just like dropped into my lap with that. And so finally, he said, you know, like the the company was was going to start closing down, so he said, hey, you're you're fired. 
you've got two weeks to either go give LA a shot or figure something else out. So it was the, you know, the, the elder pushing the younger guy out, yep. the, out the door. Again, a yeah. deadline. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's, give you... me a deadline. Give me a deadline. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I packed up my, my car and went down to LA and, um, within about a year and a half, I, again, got very lucky in that I look enough like I could play the son of this series regular on a show called Friday Night Lights. And so I got to spend 10 episodes on that show's uh, final season. And out of that, um, made a few connections and the same producing family had me in for a couple of other shows they were doing, which was great. And, um, and meanwhile, I was also composing a lot of music for commercials um, so like any, any of the background music and like McDonald's commercials and like Pepsi and that kind of a thing. Like I was fortunate enough to be able to have my jingles on it. So, so um, you were able to do both have, have these, this writing career that was, uh, actually producing stuff for, mm -hmm. for commercials as well as this on camera. Yeah, it work. was great. <laughs> it was that amazing. That sounds like best of both worlds. Was, yeah. yeah, I was doing, you know, the spinning circles in um yeah, i'm just losing the reference sound of music you know just like oh my god life is amazing <laughs> what you couldn't amazing. see what you couldn't see <laughs> listeners is that he's put his hands out and started yes. twirling around the top of the mountain exactly yeah. thank you and just like maria exactly it's like this will never end uh, yeah and uh, sure enough though um in the past few years just various changes in the industry and and disruptions i feel like that's a, a buzzword these days uh, that slowed things way down, um, which as frustrating as it's been at the same time, we talked about earlier how the things that are tough are the things that make you grow. And I mean, I, I can't say how much I've, I've learned just from working with Glasgow on this project over the past, I can't believe I'm saying two years. I know that's bonkers. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, and so, but beyond this musical and, and other, uh, other projects trying to get going and, and whatnot and just the whole life thing trying to figure it all out you know and and um it's like when's my next audition gonna come i don't know you know it's like <laughs> oh you're yeah. auditioning once a week that's what's that like that's amazing you know, <laughs> no, detail, it, no no i mean because that that is so much of this business in that you you're struggling you're struggling and all of a sudden something clicks and you're just like riding that train yeah and then that train lets you off. Then it yeah. stops. Yeah. Train and has to stop. You're, right. Yeah. You're at a stop. You don't know where you're at. You don't know when the next train is coming. Yeah. But you're just kind of biding your time. And, and that's that's a lot of this business. Yeah. Where, whether as a writer yeah. or whether as, as a performer. Mm -hmm. And so... It, I'm sure you experience that all the time. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I just finished a show. Right. So now I'm waiting for the next one. <laughs> yeah. right. 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 And that could come tomorrow or it could come in a little while. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so this is interesting, having a therapist on the program. You know, let's have a little mini session right now. Yeah. So for us Starting actors, now. yes, yeah. yes, please. Um, so for us actors, and, and also you being one yourself, coming from a theater background, what have you found both in being, you know, listening to us actors as well as kind of being on stage? What have you found is like the way to keep going, the mindset for us to kind of make it in this business, even if we don't have the work, but just make it mentally in our head to keep going? Well, I'll talk from a therapeutic perspective, and there's a lot of like different terms that people would use for this, but I'm going to use the term authentic indifference. And we talk a lot about that in the therapy world in terms of uh, achieving goals, whether it's for people that I'm working with, like being able to do something they hadn't been able to do with or without pain, or whether it be uh, going into an audition. You want to be able to go into it with, for, for your mental health sake, you want to be able to go into it with a certain amount of authentic indifference, which means you don't want to have 
too much weight put into it. Because otherwise you're gonna ride the roller coaster, you're gonna go up, you're gonna go down, you're gonna go up, you're gonna go down, and it'll just completely tire you out. In a lot of ways, you wanna go into each audition or whatever it is. I, I mean, I'm a therapist in LA, so I have a lot of actors with my clients, of course. But you want because we need help. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. We all need help. Trust me. Yes. Every group of professions needs different kind of help. But you know, you just uh, expecting putting any sort of stock into anything that comes. And of course, this comes just from like you guys know this because you've been auditioning for so long. You know, like audition, forget about it. Be done. Just totally be done. Don't even really think about it anymore. Um, those kinds of things they're hard to develop, and you develop them over time naturally. But it's something you want to be conscious of as being authentically indifferent to the outcome, whether you get it or not because otherwise you're just gonna be exhausted and you'll be anxious and then depressed and then anxious and then depressed and then anxious and then depressed. And that's not sustainable long-term. So with actors, it's a lot about, it's a lot about actually curtailing enthusiasm because actors tend to have a lot of enthusiasm, which is a great thing, but knowing where to place it, not necessarily in the, the highs and lows of the audition as so much as like where you're at in your, more broadly in your life, if that makes sense. No, 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 it absolutely makes sense. And that's something that I've had to come to terms with in relation to, yes, I want to be a performer. Yes, I, this is what I want my career to be. Right. But I also need to have a life. And what is it that's going to make me happy exactly. and fulfilled? Exactly. And whether it's doing this podcast, which is kind of a side venture to me, or, yeah. you know, like, like for you, Jeff, you got into writing as well as performing. So it's finding that other avenue totally. to kind of have an outlet and something that we find purpose and enjoyment in. And also, living your life is what often informs your art. I mean, right? Yeah, you know, not... having the experiences that you do in between the auditions and doing the work and all that, it's like, that's going to make you a better artist. I mean, in theater school, there's all these, this intensity about like, you know, live your craft. And if you can do anything else, do it. Because acting is like the hardest thing in the world. And you've just got to live and breathe that to the, like, you know, to yeah. the nth percentile. Which I love that passion and enthusiasm, but that's like terrible mental health advice. I mean, no matter what field in, if you're in, if you put all your eggs in one basket, that's dangerous. Like that's not mentally healthy. So I love that enthusiasm for theater school, but that's terrible advice to tell people if you want them to be happy and healthy. So what is the Glasgow Lyman advice? If you see someone kind of going yeah. d down this path that isn't the best for them, how do you kind of help steer them back? onto a better path. Because I have a very special, like specific niche in the therapy that I do, I tend to work with people, as I said, chronic pain, but it tends to be coexisting with a, with a high level of anxiety. Um, and so I work with a lot of just, you know, varieties of anxiety. And because of that, and this is gonna sound overly simple, I spend a lot of time just encouraging people to find ways to have fun. Because mm. the people that I work with tend to work really, really hard and push themselves very, very hard and forget that frivolity is actually very good for your brain. So doing something that doesn't have a purpose, that's just fun, that's just silly, that's just fun, frivolous, as I said, like that's really healthy for your brain. So that's what I end up telling people a lot because I'll ask people like, what have you done for fun? And they won't be able to think of anything. They'll be like, well, I worked really hard today. It's like, well, that's good, that's good, but that's not good for your brain. <laughs> so have fun. That's my advice. It sounds overly simple, but it's really important. And that sounds like that that's the, one of the basic themes of this musical as well. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. That's very true. Not, yeah. not only in the fact that it is a comedy, it is kind of making, yeah. you know, poking yeah. uh, some fun yeah. at, it, at these tough subjects, but also, as you said, you want people to come away, laugh for an hour and a half, and just kind of enjoy and the story, you know, like the specific story beats are often in our show are about these people that are all somewhat career driven. And for whatever reason, their career isn't working out the way they want it to. But them learning to have a good time is really kind of the message of our show. Like, right. Career success doesn't mean everything. <laughs> and there is one song in it called, which is our suggested advice of how to handle it, is 
it's called one day at a time yeah and i mean it kind of says it all right there yeah but taking things one day at a time and yeah yeah well i think that is a great way to end it one day at a time but thank you so much for being Patrick, on the show this is thank, awesome. you. thank you yeah. so much this is so fun oh my so, gosh and you're I, so easy to talk to well well thank you thank you and and, and i hope that the the run is very successful again remind people where they can see it it's at the Soho Playhouse, Friday at 8.30, Saturday at 6, Sunday at 4. Get your tickets at SohoPlayhouse.com or on Gold Star or on the Theater Development Fund or pretty much anywhere. You can get them all over the place right now. So come check out our show. We promise you'll have a good time. And if you don't, then don't tell anyone then, about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the therapist says, basically, if you don't have fun, it's your fault. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> guilt and shame. I grew up Catholic, so guilt always, and shame always works. Always works. <laughs> Thank you again, guys. Cool. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, that concludes this week's focus on musical theater writing. Thank you again to Glasgow and Jeff for joining me in today's episode, as well as Anna Jacobs and her students in the episode earlier this week. You can find all the episodes and more on our website, whileinevermakeit.com. Join me next time when I talk all things jazz music with Andy Clausen. Until then, keep making it, and I'll see you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.